Hello and welcome to Herpetological Discussions. Uh, this is Justin Julander. Today we're talking about Python diet. So it should be a good discussion today. Alright, uh, this was kind of a request from my buddy uh, Chuck Poland and he uh, requested I talk about this article today. So uh, this, is, this goes for everybody. If you have any uh, articles that you have a hard time getting or uh, would like me to discuss on Herpetological Discussions, just uh, put post on Facebook on the Herpetological Discussions page or uh, send me an email or a message and I'll uh, see, see what I can do. Now this, this article is uh, somewhat uh, tricky to find. It's published in Herpetological Review. Um, this is work by Jennifer Phil and others. And uh, Herpetological Review doesn't have a very strong presence online. And so it's really hard to get articles unless you subscribe to the journal, which I would recommend. Um, it, once you subscribe to Herpetological, you can subscribe to that journal as well as a couple others for like 80 bucks a year. So it's not too terrible. It won't break the bank. Now this is a quarterly publication, so it only comes out four times a year. But uh, it's very, very interesting article, very useful. So it applies to a lot of different areas of herpetology, and uh, I would highly recommend looking into it. Uh, my library carries this, and so I can go over to the library and, and copy an article or uh, you know, digitally photograph it. So that's what I did with this one. So uh, the, the title of the article is uh, Diet of Amethystine, Morelia kinghorni, and Carpet Pythons, Morelia spilota in North Queensland, Australia. And so, kind of an interesting uh, ecological study. Uh, there are a few, very few studies that uh, look at diet in tropical snakes. Uh, most of the studies focus on temperate snakes. And so, uh, I thought this was a, a neat uh, article and I uh, thought it would be worthy of discussion. Um, of course, diet uh, is important for many uh, nat life history or natural history characteristics and how it affects different things like growth rate, body size, you know, thermal regulation, uh, reproductive frequency, uh, population dynamics, and, and many other factors. And so it's very important to understand what these snakes are eating in the wild. Um, and, and also what I thought was interesting that they looked at in this study was how uh, snakes can adapt to human encroachment, which is a, an issue in this area of the study. So um, that's another thing I'd, I'd like to discuss here later on. Um, it was an impressive 11-year study. It was fairly simple. So basically they uh, searched uh, the study area for either scrub pythons or carpet pythons that had been hit by cars and they would take stomach contents and look at what the animals were eating. Um, they would also uh, take samples incidentally from uh, pythons that they found alive. Now, as anybody who has kept these animals know, um, once in a while you're going to get crapped on or, or they might regurgitate, especially if it's a wild individual. And so uh, that was that happened occasionally as well. So they used that, those samples as well in this study. Um, the, uh, fortunately, the, the scrub and the jungle carpet that I found in, in that area in the Atherton table, tablelands and uh, near Cairns, uh, they didn't dump on me <laughs> or regurgitate on me, so the, that was probably fortunate. But um, So uh, they looked at, uh, number one, the diet composition. In, in scrub pythons and carpet pythons and kind of compared uh, the diets between the two species and how uh, the size of the snake compared with you know prey size selection and if that differed between the two species. 
So, you know, i.e. bigger snakes eating bigger meals and, and vice versa. So um, the study took place between Townsville and Cooktown. That was kind of the area the, the authors used to collect the samples. And that's about 654 kilometers apart or about 400 miles for uh, us Americans or, uh, who use the weird system there. But uh, so Townsville to Cooktown. They also, uh, I guess the focus uh, or most of the samples were collected between Cardwell and Cairns. Uh, which is only 183 kilometers or 113 miles apart. So a bit of a smaller area, and that extended uh, west into the Tablelands, um, the, the Atherton Plateau there. Um, now this area has been heavily modified by human intrusion. Uh, a lot of the rainforest uh, has been cut down, and so the area is kind of a fragmented assortment of rainforest and agricultural land, and so it's been heavily altered up there. So uh, the, the study took place between 2000 and 2010, so a nice 10 years of sampling. Uh, they didn't force any regurgitations, like uh, they just took incidental samples, so uh, that was nice. Didn't have to euthanize any animals, um, just got samples from uh, animals that had been killed by uh, road hazards. And this is fairly common over in Australia and it's kind of a tragedy that, uh, you know, with increased tourism to the area, they're seeing more and more animals dead on the road or actually declines in populations. Um, so that's kind of a, a sad thing. Uh, Lyle Naylor, who's a, a friend over there, is a, a wildlife biologist, a ranger over in the in the area around Cairns in this study site and he said that it's it's getting a lot harder to find these carpet pythons and scrub pythons in the area. Their uh, their populations are declining. So that's unfortunate. Though I, I would suggest getting over there and checking them out before they disappear completely. But <laughs> hopefully that won't happen. Uh, and that these kind of studies will help uh, manage uh, these populations and but anyway, so uh, they they were. I was surprised to find out there's a, a program called Hair ID 1.0, and this program anal analyzes hair samples uh, taken from fecal pellets and gives you uh, uh, narrows down the range of what it could have been, what species. So that's pretty interesting. So they use that program to identify uh, what these animals had eaten, and then they estimated the uh, mass or size of the prey, which is, you know, difficult to do uh, with a fecal pellet to identify how big the, the prey was, or even a half-digested, uh, uh, you know, food bolus um, to, to determine how big that animal was. So all these are estimates, of course. Um, over the course of the 10 years, they only got uh, 23 records from scrub pythons and 29 records from carpet pythons. Now this uh, you know, might be expected because uh, pythons don't feed as frequently as, as maybe some other uh, animals do, especially mammals who need to eat every day. Pythons eat you know, maybe once a month or, or uh, less frequently or at times more frequently. So I imagine some of these records came at... Uh, throughout the year, you know, more frequently in certain times of the year. But so around, you know, 25 for each species. Um, and this, this kind of speaks uh, to, you know, uh, some ways that novice herpers can, can contribute to the body of science because this study was something that could easily be done by anybody who's out, uh, 
you know, road cruising frequently, they can, you know, look at some of these DORs and, and glean some information. Um, so I would suggest that anybody that uh, has an interest in science, uh, maybe team up with a, a publishing herpetologist and, and collect some samples when you're out herping. Uh, that could uh, definitely help uh, science in, in general. So, um, so anyway, uh, the results were quite interesting. Um, one of the things that I found really fascinating was that uh, one of the prey items that was found in one of the carpet pythons was uh, house canary eggs. That was kind of surprising to me that they would feed on uh, canary eggs. Um, they also found uh, a burke parrot uh, within one of the carpet pythons as well. And uh, one of the uh, scrub pythons had taken down a couple chickens. Actually, two different scrub pythons had taken down some captive chickens. And so, you know, as many Australians know, this is kind of a, uh, a risk when you keep uh, uh, chickens outdoors in, in these areas with large pythons. That sometimes you're going to have them eaten by the local uh, reptile population. So, uh, one of the uh, risks living there, I guess. But also, for me, it would be one of the benefits to be able to see wild uh, pythons. But Anyway, um, so of course uh, the scrub pythons were feeding on larger prey. Uh, the the largest prey recorded was an agile wallaby, and the estimated prey mass was about fi 15 kilograms, so quite a large meal. And that was uh, that meal was found in two different scrub pythons. Uh, very several or the majority of the specimens that they found of of scrub python had also fed on a red-legged patamelon which is a small uh, kangaroo-type animal, um, smaller than the wallabies, uh, you know, less than half the size of the wallabies at about four and a half kilograms. Uh, so, you know, fairly good-sized meal. Uh, interestingly, they found uh, a, a domestic cat in the belly of one, and so score one for the snakes in that regard as cats are well-known invasive predators over in Australia. So it's nice to see that something is eating them as well. <laughs> um, the brush-tailed possum, uh, one individual was found in a scrub python. Now that's about kind of the size uh, that was exclusive to only the scrub python. So that the brush-tailed possum weighed about 2.8 kilograms so that nothing above that that and above was was not fed on by a carpet python but below that you start to see some overlap so the next one down was a brown bandicoot it's 1.6 kilograms and, and a couple carpet pythons were found to have uh, these in their bellies or uh, and uh, one scrub python um, and then another invasive predator, the European rabbit, was found. A, a couple carpet pythons had fed on rabbits, so that was uh, interesting that they're capitalizing on this invasive predator as well. And then it kind of goes down the list. There's uh, several different species. Um, some of these are uh, flying foxes I thought was an interesting diet item, and these were found only in scrubs. No no uh, carpets were found to have fed on flying foxes. Now, uh, scrub pythons qu climb quite frequently, and as do carpet pythons, but only the, the scrubs were found to have any flying foxes within them. Um, black rats were were avoided by carpet pythons, whereas they were found in a couple of scrub pythons. So that kind of coincides with what we see in captivity, where uh, jungle carpets often have an aversion to rats, and so uh, that that may be in the wild as well. 
Um, sugar glider. A sugar glider was found. That's a cute little animal found in the carpet python belly. Uh, very uh, Several cane-filled rats. Seven individual uh, carpet pythons had fed on cane-filled rats, which are smaller, quite, uh, quite a bit smaller than the black rats, about almost uh, less than half the size of the black rats. And so they will feed on rata species as long as they're the smaller version. I don't know if it's a danger thing to them or it was just they happen not to feed on uh, black rats or found an individual that had fed on black rats. But that was interesting as well. So I guess uh, i got to take that back. They will feed on rata species, but um, you know the larger ones maybe uh, tended to be avoided because there were seven individuals that had cane-filled rats. So it's pretty interesting. And I, and I think the cane-filled rat, I, I may be wrong, but I don't know if that's a native or an invasive species, so I, I guess I shouldn't make a claim there. Uh, I could look that up, but um, that's an, you know another interesting observation that some of the you know some will feed on those and, and not the black rats. But anyway, um, the the most frequent uh, food item of the carpet pythons was the house mouse, and so they're feeding well on this invasive predator or not predator, but invasive species, um, the the house mouse. And so 10 individuals were found with mice in their bellies. Uh, they do like the mice. Um, there were also some uh, native species of tree mouse and uh, grassland, uh, little grassland melomus, which is a little uh, marsupial, I believe. A um, couple different melomus species were also taken by carpet pythons. So um, what was interesting, too, is there... A couple of house mouses were found in scrubs as well. Now, when they show the uh, food items, they don't specify how big the carpet python or scrub python was when it took down uh, those larger meals or smaller meals. So it could have been a juvenile uh, scrub python feeding on house mouse as well. So it's hard to tell. But, you know, interestingly, um, you know, or, or I guess not surprisingly, the relationship of snout to vent length and prey mass was fairly consistent between the two species, so the curves didn't differ much. Um, it, it, so larger individuals fed on larger food items, which is which makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, you know, a very interesting study and uh, some some fun data that to to go over. I don't know how. Um, I guess how much to read into it because you know it's just a luck of what what the snake was able to catch at that time and uh what the auth you know what the authors found as far as uh dead on the road individuals so it's hard to make too many inferences from this study but we do get an insight into some of the things that they're eating in the wild and i think that's valuable information again this is a nice way for amateur herpetologists or uh budding scientists to get in and and make a difference in in this uh domain so uh, think about different things you can find out from the stuff that you're road cruising on your herping trips. Um, I think uh, it's it's nice to see that they are uh, making an indent into some of the invasive species, the house mouse, the bl uh, black rat, uh, the Euro European rabbits, and even cats. So they seem to be doing okay using these species as a prey item. Unfortunately, I, I not included in this article. I, I believe they do mention cane toads in the article, but they don't talk too much about them. But um, there's been a, a few pictures recently on uh, the on Facebook that I've seen of of carpet pythons that have died after trying to 
take uh, cane toads as meals. And so that's kind of sad to see that, you know, the cane toads are still having an impact on some of these carpet python populations. And, you know, as the cane toads spread, uh, you'll have some uh, ones that haven't been familiarized or haven't seen this. But unfortunately with cane toads, it's hard to get a second chance. They generally die. I believe there was one uh, example of some people who had found one that had started eating a cane toad and it wasn't quite dead and I believe they nursed it back to health and released it so there is a possibility that they might survive and, and learn and, and you know go on to to avoid those or, or I don't know uh, but kind of a, a plague over there but, well, I hope you enjoyed the uh, discussion on this paper and uh, if you have the opportunity uh, try to find it if you know if you can't uh, shoot me a message on Facebook and I can uh, potentially get you a copy of the article so I uh, hope you've enjoyed uh, this discussion, and uh, uh, see you on Facebook, I suppose. Have a good one.